Well, good morning, Harmony. Uh, this morning, I've uh, invited Pastor Matt Yaley and his wife, Chris, uh, to join me here on stage for a few minutes. So uh, we could take uh, just a, a couple of minutes here to uh, recognize and honor and celebrate uh, the fact that they now have served here at Harmony uh, for a decade, for 10 years. <laughs> so it was... Uh, September of 2008, seems so long ago, doesn't it? September of 2008 that Harmony called Matt uh, to be our youth pastor, and uh, he served in a number of different roles uh, over the last 10 years. Currently, he's our pastor of Global Ministries, although uh, at the moment, he is also our interim youth pastor, all right? So he's kind of returning to his roots, but uh, Matt served in in so many different ways uh, and ministered to so many different people, and Chris alongside uh, him. Now, we had a drag Chris up here this morning. She doesn't like to to be in front of people, doesn't like the spotlight, but uh, Chris has served faithfully in the youth ministry right alongside Matt, and even after Matt was no longer the youth pastor, she's traveled all around the world with him, visiting and caring for and loving on our field staff, as well as caring for the home and supporting Matt in that way. Uh, And so we just wanted just to take a few minutes here just to reflect on how God has blessed us, um, blessed our church, blessed our community, really even blessed our uh, world uh, through their ministry over the last 10 years. And so uh, just a couple of things that I want to highlight in regards uh, to Matt in particular. Uh, one uh, would be that Matt very clearly uh, loves the Lord, loves Jesus Christ. In fact, I think that for those of us who know us, we would say the number one thing about Matt is that he's passionate about his relationship with Jesus. And you know, uh, there's lots of things that we look for in a pastor. Obviously, we want ability and, and gifting. Uh, we want a sound doctrinal knowledge. Matt has those things. But the most important thing by far when it comes to a pastor is that they have godly character. And we all know that this man uh, certainly has that. Now, along with that, not only is Matt passionate uh, about the Lord, uh, but he's also passionate about people. And so Matt is a shepherd. Uh, If you know Matt, you know Matt loves people and loves to help them uh, to walk more faithfully with Jesus. And he's done that for so many of you here over the last 10 years, prayed for people, teaching people, counseling people, loving on people, and, uh, and just all kinds of examples that we could give. And of course, Chris has been doing much of the same thing as well. And so why don't we just really, really show him how much we love these two uh, here this morning. Will we do that? Now, uh, we believe it's important to tell people that we love them, right? But it's also uh, probably even more important to show them that you love them, right? Words are nice, but husbands, are you listening here? All right, words are nice. But uh, we wanted to give um, Matt, in particular, a gift of um, just of our expression of how much we love him and appreciate his ministry. And so if you don't know this about Matt, Matt is a Kansas City Chiefs fan, all right? Now, uh, yes, so... uh, not sure exactly why. There's three, three of them here with you. Three of them here with you. Uh, but um, we thought it would be good uh, just to give Matt a Sunday off from his responsibilities here um, at Harmony and to get him some tickets so that he and a few people of his choice 
maybe your boys, it's up to you. I don't know, they can fight over it, uh, to go to uh, a Kansas City Chiefs game um, later this year. Now, uh, I told Matt earlier in the first, we've done this already, so they know about this, so we're acting like we, this is the first time. What? All right, whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, but I told Matt he has to go to church when they're in Kansas City, all right? And it's not at, the, it's not at Arrowhead Stadium, all right? But then you can go, then you could go uh, to the game afterwards. But uh, anyways, here, Matt, is an expression of our uh, love for you. Really just a little token. And so thanks so much for your ministry here hey, over the last you. 10 years. Thank you very much, Aubrey. So, so you're saying this isn't four more tickets to the Chiefs game. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> From, no. Hey, uh, really appreciate uh, the, the privilege of serving at Harmony Bible Church. Um, you know, growing up, Chris and I both grew up at Harmony, if you guys don't know that. Always a desire, maybe a dream to maybe be able to come back and serve in the church that we grew up in and uh, even have our kids grow up in that same church. And uh, God's been gracious enough to allow us to do that. Uh, we, we, we were away for 13 years, and then uh, eight, 10 years ago, we were able to come back here. And so just thank you for that really privilege. And it's uh, fun just growing in, our, in the Lord together. And uh, it's just uh, an amazing opportunity for all of us. So really appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, well, let's, um, okay, you can clap again. Go ahead. All right, let's pray and thank uh, the Lord uh, for Matt and Chris and really their whole family, and then also pray for his blessings on the word here today. Uh, Father, we come to you, and uh, we thank you for the privilege that we have together. Uh, together, Lord, there are so many good gifts that you uh, give us. I, I just wanna, wanna pray here at Harmony that uh, you will grow us in gratitude and gratefulness uh, for all the blessings that you pour into our lives. And, and we know um, that one of those blessings, uh, for those of us who are part of your church, is the, the godly leaders that you give us. And we thank you uh, particularly today uh, for, for Matt uh, and the way that he has shepherded and the way that he has pastored and, and loved uh, and cared for the flock here over the last decade. Lord, we, we wanna thank you for the way that uh, he has poured into people's lives, how he has prayed, um, how he has taught, um, how he has counseled. Um, Lord, I pray and thank you also for, for Chris and how she's come alongside and, and ministered in many of those same ways to, to so many people. And so, Lord, we wanna pray that uh, you will give them many more years of fruitful ministry. Uh, we wanna pray that you will bless their marriage. We wanna pray that you will bless their, uh, their children. Uh, we wanna pray that you will protect them and watch over them, give them good health, uh, give them growth in the gospel, and may the, uh, you just continue to use them to further your kingdom here in Southeast Iowa and, and beyond. And Lord, now we thank you also, of course, for your word, and we want to pray now as we really uh, dive into it that you will give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, uh, we pray that you will speak to us and speak into each individual heart today the, the word, the message that you have for us. Help us to be sensitive and open to what you have to say to us today. And may we leave saying that we met with you and we heard from you today. And it will be all for your glory and your honor and your praise. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. While uh, Matt and Chris are, are grabbing their seats, uh, today uh, in the big story, uh, we are going to look at one of the, the most unique people in the Bible. And this guy uh, that we're going to look at is unique, not only in the kind of person that he is, 
but also in the role that he plays, not only in one or two Bible stories, but really in all of redemptive history. So, so the guy that we're gonna talk about is really a one of a kind. He's one of a kind as a person, but he also had a one of a kind role in all of history. Now, uh, if you've been following along with our uh, Bible reading plan in the big story, you know that this figure, this Bible character is John the Baptist. Now, uh, John the Baptist is called John the Baptist, by the way, not because he's the father of all the Baptist denominations are around today, rather because baptizing is what he is known for. He was John the Baptizer, all right? John the Baptizer. So we're gonna look at him today, and to do so, we need to turn to Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one uh, close to you, and you can find Matthew three on page 626. So Matthew chapter three, we're gonna look at verses one through 12, and I want you to follow along with me now as I read. Here's what Matthew tells us. He says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry." He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, got a really simple, basic message for you today. In fact, it's probably the simplest message that I've ever preached. I've just got two primary points, all right? Two primary points today. We're gonna look at the man and the message. We're gonna begin, first of all, we're going to look at who John the Baptist was as a person, who he was as a man, and then second, we're gonna look at the message he proclaimed. So so you got that? The man and the message. Let's begin by talking about the man. Who is this John the Baptist guy? Who who really is he? Well, you note in verse three that we're told that he is the one that was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, he was the one that was sent to prepare the way for the Lord, who we're gonna find out in a little bit in verse 13, is Jesus. 
All four Gospels are clear about this, all right? So, so if, you, if you read the four Gospels, you will note that they, they all start differently. They all kind of go in different directions, but there's one place very early on where they converge, and that's in the ministry of John the Baptist. So very early in all four Gospels, we come to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is placed right before the ministry of Jesus begins, and that's because the Old Testament had prophesied in a number of different places, by the way, this is Isaiah 40 here in verse 3, that there would be a second Elijah that would come before the great and mighty day of the Lord. And so this second Elijah, John the Baptist, is sent to prepare the way, to prepare the people to receive Jesus. Now, how did John do so? How did John prepare the people for Jesus? Well, he did so in two ways. First of all, he did so through his lifestyle. I think it's fair to say that John had a somewhat unorthodox life, right? lived a somewhat unorthodox life. When he became of age, okay, he decided I'm gonna uh, go off the grid. I'm gonna go off the grid, I'm gonna move to the wilderness, and I'm gonna start wearing this big leather belt, all right, and clothes made of camel's hair. Sounds strange to you? Sounds a little weird, right? Not something that a whole lot of people today do. If somebody were to do it, you'd say, okay, that guy is a little bit out there. Now, now here's the thing, okay? Uh, for, from John's appearance, we know that he would have stood out in a crowd. And we know that not only because of what he was wearing, but also because of how he would have smelt. All right? You remember um, a few months ago, I showed you a picture of Eva, Eva, evil? Okay? Eva. Eva. Okay? Eva and I, don't laugh too loudly, okay? Uh, oh boy, it's gonna be a long day. Um, Eva and I on a camel. Okay, on a camel. And there's lots of things that I learned from that experience, but one of them is that camels smell bad. Okay, they smell really, really bad. So here you got this crazy-eyed, wild-eyed guy, wild-clothes guy, all right, smelling really, really bad. And then on top of it, his diet is really, really strange, right? Really, really strange diet. Now, there's lots of people that have strange diets today. I call these people, by the way, vegans and vegetarians, okay? Uh, but, um, but, but, you know, an insect diet is really kind of out there. Now, now, by the way, if you are a vegan or vegetarian, I know there are some of you here today, okay? I love you, okay? I accept you. I think you're wonderful. I think you're great. I just don't understand you, okay? I don't understand how you can turn down God's gracious and good gifts of things like beef and bacon, okay? And, and so, so some of you are like, well, that bacon stuff, that'll kill you. And here's all I have to say, all right? If there's a choice between dying and bacon, I'm taking the bacon, okay? It'll get me to glory sooner anyway, all right? So, so here's the thing, though, all right? John the Baptist is just, he, he's just really, he's just really out there, all right? And, and then on top of it, Okay, uh, his preaching is a little bit out there. He is what we would call today, right, a fire and brimstone preacher. You will note from the text that his preaching is loud, okay? His preaching is, is urgent and his preaching is fearless, okay? It's loud because we know that he's crying out in the wilderness, all right? If you're out in the wilderness and you want people to hear you, what do you gotta do? You gotta yell, okay? So, so he's yelling. He's also preaching, we see in verses one through 12, with great, great 
urgency, right? He's calling people for a response. He's not gonna settle for people just hearing and just listening to him. By the way, I really believe a good sign, okay, of powerful preaching and effective preaching is that it's always gonna call for a response. Not gonna just let people sit there and, and take it in. And that's what, that's what John the Baptist was. He's urgently calling people for a response. Most of all, though, he's a fearless preacher, you will note that when the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come out to hear him, what does he do? He points his finger in their faces and says, hey, you are a brood of vipers. In other words, you are a pack of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the judgment that is to come? Now, from what we know about John, this seems to be something that he did on a regular basis, that he just had this habit of, of any time he saw a powerful person, he was just gonna call them out, all right? And we know this because in Luke chapter three, he goes on to call out King Herod himself for taking his brother's wife and marrying her. He says, you can't do that, that's wrong. And of course, this would eventually lead to him being thrown in prison and then to ultimately losing his head when said wife got her revenge. Now, now here's the point of all of this, of John's preaching, the way that he preached, the way that he lived, the way that he looked, is that he was audacious, Okay? He was audacious, and he was audacious on purpose, and he was audacious on purpose because his role was to wake the people up, to, to wake them from their spiritual stupor, and to get them ready for something big that was about to happen. We have to remember that the people of Israel at this point haven't heard from God. You may remember we talked about this the last couple of weeks for 400 years. There hasn't been a prophet around, and now all of a sudden, there's this guy who comes, and he's preaching like Elijah, and he looks like Elijah, and all of a sudden, the people are saying, oh boy, something as big is going to happen. We better go see what is about to happen, and their hearts begin to be warmed, okay, to what's going on, and they begin to get prepared for Jesus. So, so John gets the people prepared for Jesus by his lifestyle, by his appearance, by the way he preached, but most of all, he does so through his message. So let's talk about his message. What was the message that John proclaimed? We see it in verse two. Notice what John says here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How does John prepare the people for Jesus' coming? He does so by calling them to repent. Calling them to repent. Now let's talk here about this whole repentance thing for a second, right? Let's talk about this repentance thing for a second. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to repent? Well, well to repent means to turn around. Here's the basic meaning of the word repent, all right? If I'm going this way, if I'm walking this way, to repent would mean that I would turn around and I would walk this way, all right? Basic meaning of repent is to turn around. Let me give an illustration, a little football illustration, right? This is the first Sunday of the NFL season. You know that, right? You're all pretend, oh, come on, okay? You're being hypocrites right now. You know it's the first Sunday of the NFL season, okay? Most of you do anyway, all right? So, so let me give a little illustration. What would it mean for a Green Bay Packers fan to repent? All right? Hey, this is a legit question because we all know they need to, right? We all know that they need to. So for a Green Bay Packers fan to repent would mean that they would turn from giving their allegiance to the Green Bay Packers, all right, and they would turn around and they would give their allegiance in the complete opposite direction, which would be to become fans of the Chicago Bears, right? 
You with me there? All right. Some of you aren't buying it, aren't going to go there. All right. But, but really, the, the, the word allegiance, I think, is a good word to use. It's a good term to think of. All right. Repentance means turning our allegiance from one thing and turning it to another. So, so what John is calling the people to do, really, is he's calling them to turn their life around. To turn their life around from giving allegiance to themselves, to their idols, and to give their allegiance fully to God, to the coming Messiah. Now we'll come back to repentance in just a moment and dig into that definition in a little bit, but, but let's talk about this kingdom of heaven. John says you need to turn around, you need to turn your life around because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven is a synonym for the kingdom of God. Matthew, um, 32 times in his gospel, uses this phrase, kingdom of heaven, the other gospel writers use kingdom of God. Matthew does that, by the way, uh, because he's writing to a Jewish audience, all right, and the Jews would not say the name of God, so he uses heaven instead of God, but it means the same thing. And the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is the place where God sets up his rule and reign. So so, so here's what, what John is saying. He's saying, you need to repent, you need to turn around because God is about to come here and set up his rule and reign on earth. You need to get ready, you need to get right because God is just about to bring his rule and reign to earth. Now, how's he gonna do that? Well, we find out, of course, in verse 13 and through the rest of Matthew that he's going to do so through a new king coming to earth. And who is that king, by the way? The king is, you know, it's, it's right. So it's really simple, it's, Jesus. So, so what John is saying here is you need to, to get right, you need to turn your life around because the king is coming. And he's gonna set up his rule and reign on earth. And you better be ready to submit your lives to him. Now with that in mind, let's dig in a little bit more to this whole repentance thing. Well, what does it really mean to repent? Basically, it means to turn around. However, because repentance is such a big concept in the scriptures, all right? I wanna dig in with you a little bit and talk to you about what it actually looks like when we do it. When we repent, what does it look like? Before I do that, though, let me stress for you just how significant and how important this is, all right? Not only was repentance at the core of John the Baptist's message, but it was also at the core of Jesus's message, all right? So listen, when we think of John the Baptist and think of fire and brimstone preachers, and we think about this end of time, apocalyptic, repent, turn or burn kind of stuff, that's not very popular today, right? John the Baptist would not be very popular um, today. We would much rather have the meek and mild, nice, gentle, loving, accepting Jesus. You see, everybody loves Jesus today, right? Everybody loves Jesus. In other words, they love their idea of Jesus. All right, they, they think, okay, Jesus is so loving and Jesus is so gentle and Jesus never condemned anybody and Jesus just loves everybody the way that they are and he just accepts everybody the way they are. The problem with that is that's not the biblical Jesus. That's the, that's the Jesus we make up in our minds, in our hearts. It's really an idol that we create. And here's how we know this. When Jesus comes and begins his ministry and begins preaching, do you know what message he gives? He gives the exact same message that John does in Matthew chapter three. If you turn over to Matthew chapter four, it says Jesus begins to preach. You know what he says? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Word for word. What's more, if we go to the end of the gospels, particularly in Luke, Luke 24, 
right before Jesus goes back to heaven, he gives the great commission, and here's the great commission in Luke. He says, you, my disciples, need to go out, and you need to make more disciples by preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. How do we make disciples? We make disciples through repentance. Jesus' message, the message of the gospel, the message of the Bible, the message of the New Testament is a message of repentance. Therefore, without repentance, there is is no gospel repentance is an essential is essential for a relationship with Jesus you with me on this no repentance no gospel Therefore, since it's such a huge concept, it's such a huge issue, we, we really need to know we really need to understand what it is, what it means, what it looks like. So here's repentance from. Matthew chapter three. In Matthew chapter three, we learn that repentance has two components to it. Two components, all right? Confession and change. Everybody tracking with me here? This is really simple. I'm laying it out as basic as I can here today. Repentance equals confession plus change. Let's talk about confession, then we'll get to change, all right? What's confession? Well, confession means to admit. It means to admit. We can see this in verse six. Notice what we see there. In verse six, when the people come out and they hear John's message, they respond by being baptized, notice what it says, confessing their sins. So so it's really important that we understand this, right? Baptism uh, in the Bible, in the scriptures, is is a symbol, All it is is a symbol. It has no salvific effect, okay? It can't save you in any way. It simply is a symbol an outward picture of an inward reality. So when the people are getting baptized, they're doing so to show that they have confessed their sins. Now, confession, as I just mentioned, means to admit. It means to own. It means you are saying, I have sinned, and instead of ignoring your sin or excusing your sin, or blaming your sin in others, you're just saying, it's mine, I'm taking it, I have done it, I have sinned against you, God. You you know, by the way, how we do all three of those things I just mentioned, right? How we tend to ignore our sin, we act like it's not there, kinda just kinda cover over it, all right? Or we excuse our sin, we say things like, you know, I was tired, or I've had a bad week, or I'm going through these difficult circumstances, or I've got this issue going on, and you know, I would really wouldn't have done that, and it's not really my fault because I've got all of these things going on. Or we blame our sin on others. This is a really popular one today, right? We blame our sin on our parents. We blame our sin on something that happened to us when we were young. We blame, ourself on, uh, blame our sin on everybody else except for taking responsibility for it. Now, let me say this to you here uh, today. There are contributing factors to why you have sinned in the way that you have sinned and the issues that you struggle with, okay? There is a nurture reality to your sin, but at the bottom line, the responsibility for your sin comes from your nature, (laughs) okay? You are responsible for your sin, and furthermore, until you take responsibility for it, you will never gain power over it. As long as you keep blaming it or excusing it, refusing to admit it, ignoring it, okay, there will be no power over sin in your life. So so, so when we're truly repenting, what we are doing is we are admitting our sin. We are owning our sin. Maybe I can put it this way, all right? Confessing our sin means that we are going to agree with God about our sin. 
God says what you are doing is sin, the way you are going is sin, and we say, you know what, God, you are right, I agree. You're right, I'm wrong, I'm owning it. No excuses, nothing, period, at the end. Don't put a comma, put a period. You know, you know how we like to put commas where God puts periods? Don't put a comma where God puts periods. God says, you're a sinner, okay, you've fallen short of my glory. We say, you're right, God, and I'm confessing and I am giving that to you. Now, with that being said, all right, that's where uh, repentance begins, but that's not where it ends. Repentance begins with confession, but it ends with change. Now, how do we know this? Well, look in verse eight. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees come out, okay, and they begin to listen, they're just observing, they're not really interested in repenting. Notice what John says to them. He says, you brood of vipers, okay? And then he goes on to say, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, the evidence of true repentance is fruit. It's actually change. Here's what Paul says in Acts chapter 26. He says, my entire ministry, my entire ministry was preaching that people should repent and they should demonstrate their repentance by their deeds, by what they do. So, so here's what we gotta get to this morning, all right? Where there is no change, there is no repentance. Where there is no change, there is no true repentance. Oh yes, you might admit your sin. By, by the way, um, we're really good at this uh, today. And can I just lovingly, can I speak to you millennials for a second? All right? You, I, I, I love you, okay? But, but you're really good at admitting your sin. You're much better than my generation at admitting your sin. The problem is, is you use that a lot of times as a badge of, of like kind of courage or pride. Look, look, at, look, look at me, I've got this struggle and I've got this issue. And there's a good part to that, but let me just tell you, you need to go another step further and change. You need to turn from your sin. So, so not just, listen, the older, older generations like I'm in, we need to do a better job of simply admitting our sin, all right? But, but regardless of what generation you're in, not only do you need to admit it, but you need to change, you need to do something about it. Where we're not changing, we're not truly repenting. You see, if all that we do is to say, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Yes, I've got this going on. And then maybe we get a little emotional and we shed a tear or two or, or we feel bad about it, but we don't change. All we have is what the Apostle Paul calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is worldly sorrow. Do you know what worldly sorrow is? Worldly sorrow is I'm sorry that I got caught. I'm sorry that this is going to hurt. I'm sorry that I'm going to feel some consequences from it. Very simple illustration here. One that I am really familiar with is getting a speeding ticket, right? All right? You know, you know how it works when you get a speeding ticket, right? Okay? No. So you know, never. All right? But, but here's how it goes for, for so many, for those of us who did get speeding tickets, right? All right? So, so um, we'll admit that we were speeding. It's hard to deny that, right? Sometimes we'll try to get around it, but most of the time, yeah, admit, I'm sorry, officer, I, I know I was speeding. We'll make some excuse or whatever, but, but yes, I, I was speeding. And we probably will even feel bad about it. Some of us will even shed tears and get out of said ticket, but let's not go into that, all right? Let's not go into that, all right? But we'll, we'll feel bad about it. But the reason that we feel bad about it is because we're gonna have to pay the $195 ticket not because we are sorry that we have done something wrong and that we have broken the law. You see, 
Godly sorrow, which is true repentance, is sorrow that we have offended a holy and righteous God, that we have rebelled against him, that our sorrow is not over the pain that we are feeling, but rather the pain that we have caused the God who created us and has sent his son to die on the cross for us. That is godly sorrow. That is true repentance. You see, for me, most of the time, pretty much all of the time, when I get a speedy ticket, I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit it, I'm gonna feel bad about it, and I probably even will slow down for a little period of time until that goes off my record, and then I'm gonna do what? I'm gonna probably speed back up again. That's not true repentance, and that's the way that so many of us respond to our sin, is that we refuse to actually change, and we show that we were just remorseful rather than actually repentant. And so here's what I wanna put before you today before we close out the message. What sin or sins do you need to confess today? And here's the reality, folks, we all have these. So if you leave today and you go, man, that message really didn't have anything for me in it. You aren't listening. You are listening. In fact, In 1 John, we're told that if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. How about that? We all, we all have sin or sins today that we need to confess. So so let me just give you some examples. Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it gossip? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Or is it just a very baseline that you do not want to give up control of your life. That you are your God, whether you define it that way or not, you are your Lord, you're gonna do things your way, and that you really don't care all that much about what God has to say about it. That you are your God, you are going your way, and that's the way that it's gonna be. Do you need to confess that kind of heart today? What's more, do you not only need to confess it, but do you need to turn from it? You see, there's a difference between admitting it and actually turning from it. You see, I can go this way and keep saying, yeah, I'm going this way, I'm going this way, and confess that, but true repentance means I'm gonna turn around and go the opposite direction. Do you need to do that today? Some of you, listen, some of you have, you've known you've been struggling with this sin that you're thinking about right now, for years and years, maybe even decades and decades, and you've admitted it, you you admit it to anybody who asks, but you are not willing to turn and change from it. You need to do so today. Now let me tell you why this is such a big deal. Why is this so, so important? Well, look at what we see in verses 10 through 12. This is a key part of the text. Notice what John says, okay? He says, repent, okay, bear fruit, confess your sins. Why? Even now, like right now, the acts is laid to the root of the trees, all right? The tree's about to be cut down. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, i.e., every tree that's not repented, is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John says you need to repent because Jesus is coming. John the Baptist is like a first century Paul Revere. Do you remember what Paul Revere said? Symbol, 
right? The British are coming. The British are coming. What's John the Baptist saying? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So you better do what? You better get ready. How do you get ready for Jesus? You get ready for Jesus by repenting. Why do you need to repent? Because when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize. But he's not gonna baptize like I baptize. I baptize with water, physical water. Jesus is gonna baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, uh, John is saying there are two options when it comes to Jesus. You can either repent, and if you do, he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now what that means, okay, we gotta be really clear about this because there's a lot of confusion for some people about this. It's not talking about a second, you know, second experience of the Holy Spirit. It's talking about salvation. In other words, Jesus says that if you repent, I'm gonna give you my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to to, to save you. I'm gonna just immerse you in the Holy Spirit. He's gonna come into your life. He's gonna take out your heart of stone. He's gonna give you a heart of flesh. He's going to adopt you into God's family. You're gonna become a child of God. You're gonna be given a place in heaven, and then you're gonna be given power to actually change to do what you can't do on your own, if you repent. On the other hand, if you don't repent, Jesus is going to baptize you with fire. You note that the key word in our text there, those verses 10 through 12 is fire, right? In fact, this is John's fire sermon. Maybe you write that in the margin of your your notes. This is John's fire sermon. He is very, very clear that for those who do not repent, they are going to be cast into the lake that burns with fire forever. Unquenchable fire. My friends, this is the choice that every single one of us has. We can either turn in repentance to Jesus or we can burn forever. Here's what one commentator says about this. A guy by the name of John Bengal says, everyone is either baptized with spirit or burn with fire, there is no third lot. Let me impress upon you just a little bit further why this is so urgent. Why it's so urgent. It's so urgent because one of two things could happen to you at any moment. You could die or Jesus could come back. Now, now listen, we like to ignore this. We like to pretend that it's not gonna happen, but we're all gonna die. And none of us know the time. None of us know the time. What's more, Jesus could come back at any moment, and he will come back at some moment, and none of us know the time for that either. And so there is no time to put this off. There is no saying, I will get to that later. There might not be any later. We're all going to die, or Jesus is going to come back. Now, we'd all like, you know, those of us who are believers would like the second option, right? right? But, but regardless... We're either gonna die or Jesus is gonna come back. And so today, my friends, is the day to repent. Today is the day of salvation. Do not put this off. Here's what the apostle Peter tells us. 2 Peter chapter three says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, leave that, go back to that for a second, okay? I want you to leave this up here for a second, all right? Listen, God is being incredibly patient with you. Sometimes we ask, you know, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? You know why Jesus hasn't come back yet? Because there's people who have not repented that God desires to repent. God 
wants you to repent. He is patiently waiting for you to repent. Now listen, I know that this is, this is, this is hard. This is, the Bible's message is a hard message. And you might be like, he's gonna send people to an eternity in hell? Why, 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 why in the world? Why? But listen, listen, he has patiently waited. He has paid over for, for years and years, decades, thousands and thousands of years because he wants people to be saved. He gives people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity over and over and over again. He's patiently waiting. And maybe you can think about it this way. You know, the, the reason that we are able to turn in repentance to God is because he has first turned to us. In other words, we can repent because Jesus came. And not only did Jesus come to this earth, but he also experienced hell in our place so that we don't have to. In other words, Jesus died and experienced all the pain of hell so that you don't have to. All that you have to do is repent and turn to him. All you have to do is lay down your pride, lay down your idols, lay down your selfishness, give them to him, and he will give you eternal life. Now, here's the thing, though. He's patiently waiting, but there's a day coming where that patience is gonna be gone because here's what Peter goes on to say in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief comes and tries to break in, right, when nobody's there. Yesterday, went to Grandpa's Ice Cream, Burlington. Okay, tried to go through the drive-thru. The drive-thru was closed. You know why it was closed? Because a thief had tried to get in, okay, and had broken the door earlier this week. They didn't know when that thief was coming. I'm sure they came the next day and they were surprised, right? Jesus is gonna come back and it's going to be a surprise. Hopefully not to all of us, okay, but to a lot, it's gonna be a surprise. He's coming at a time where we don't know. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So let me just put it out to you here, and then I'll be done, all right? We have a choice. We can either expose our sins, and Jesus will cover them, or we can cover our sins, and Jesus will expose them. You, you tracking with me on that? We can either, you know, we can just kinda hide our sins, and if we refuse to deal with them, one day Jesus is gonna expose them. On the other hand, if we take our sins and we expose them, Jesus' blood will cover them. Which one is it gonna be for you? The choice is yours today. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning?